Have a seat. James uh, chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, um, I'll summarize, uh, but James, the brother of Jesus, says um, to draw near to God, and he draws near to us. And it's a passage that's been on my mind throughout, throughout the week. And sometimes we ask, uh, God, where are you? Um, God, where's your promises? God, where, where's the hope that I have in you? And oftentimes we're wondering where he is uh, when he's calling us uh, to him. And sometimes it can seem like, like God is not present when we want him to be, but, but he is. He, he's there. He's with us. And I would encourage you this morning to, as this song just said, literally make room for him. We talked for about six or seven weeks about what it looks like to prepare our hearts to be filled continuously with the Spirit. And that's, that's making room. And it does require us drawing near to him. And his promise is that he draws near to us. But on the contrary... I'm so grateful that God draws near to me, um, oftentimes when I'm walking away from him. And he pursues us and calls us, and what we have to do is turn around and be present and ready to receive exactly what it is he has for us. So I want to just pray with you, for you, uh, have us pray together this morning. Um, Lots of things going on in the world, lots of things going on in, in our community and in our, our own church family. Talked to so many people this week that are just battling with some really, 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 really hard things. Really difficult stuff. And if you're dealing with difficult stuff, whether it's uh, illness or disease, uh, relationship, marriage, financial issue, I want you to know you're not alone. Um, you're not weird. The Bible says that no temptation has seized us except for what is common to man. That means that the things we struggle with are, are common. They're not things we want, but they're things that are, that are common to each of us. And that should unite us and allow us to be able to lean on one another, to depend on one another, to help others out when we are in need. And not only are these things not uncommon, but Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is able to sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted in every way, just as you and I are, but was without sin. And so Jesus faced a humanity as you and I are human and face humanity, but our hope is that he did so without sin. And so we push into, we make room for, and we draw near to God. And we expectantly await for him to enable us to be empowered and to overcome sin, to overcome temptation, to overcome trial, and to come out victorious in the trials of this life. Whether that's tomorrow or whether that's in paradise, whether that's in a year from now or whether it's in a new heaven and a new earth, uh, I don't know when all things in our life are being put in order like we're waiting for them to be, but I want to encourage you to keep praying for them to be so. So would you join, join us in prayer this morning? God, we, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you, Jesus, uh, for your love for us, for your life lived without sin for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice made for our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your victorious resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that through you, um, the devil, hell, death, and sin are defeated. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling us, dwelling within us, empowering us, equipping us, and giving us gifts. Um, Father, we bring praise and worship and glory to you this morning. We ask that we would honor you and, and the words spoken, the songs sung, the prayers offered up. Um, God, throughout this week, as we go through these different trials we've talked about, I pray that you would heal the sick. pray you'd send us out to pray for the sick. God, I pray that you would uh, restore and equip and heal marriages and families and relationships. God, give us wisdom and direction and discernment. If you're calling us away from something or drawing us to something, would you make it clear to us so we know what to do? Lord, I pray first and foremost that through our trials, through our difficulties, that we would bring you honor, that we would bring you glory, and that our hope would be found completely in you and the foundation that you are for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Welcome to Free Church once again. Uh, my name is Anthony. I'm pastor here at Free Church. Um, this is the uh, part of the New Hope Christian College worship team. If you give them a hand for coming and leading us in worship today. I'm going to invite uh, Taylor to come up, and she's going to share a little bit with you about New Hope. And then we have a, a video uh, to show you here in a second. And I'll come up and just offer you a brief announcement and then um, get into our message today. So thank you, Taylor. Good morning, everyone. It is so awesome to be here with all of you. My name is Taylor Montabon from New Hope Christian College out in Eugene. Um, so yeah, we traveled an hour to get here this morning, and we're so blessed. You have such a beautiful, beautiful church. Um, my my um, job here today is to just communicate the heart behind New Hope Christian College. The heart behind New Hope Christian College is to build up emerging Christian leaders for the kingdom of God to go into ministry. And New Hope Christian College is such a unique um, place to develop and discover what God is calling you to do. We get different avenues of learning, different chances to understand different things, to develop different skills. And I know that I, um, I'm a recent graduate of New Hope Christian College, actually. I graduated about six months ago at this point. So I'm freshly out of college, and I know that because of New Hope Christian College, I am the type of leader that I am today. Um, I'm right now pursuing my master's degree, and my heart is to go into Christian counseling someday, but I love worship, and New Hope is a great place to not only do what you're passionate about, but to develop what God is calling you to do in the future to glorify his kingdom. Um, so yeah, feel free to watch this video, and let's take a look. so that it is communicated creatively and clearly in a way that people understand. We really work hard on different avenues of communicating, whether it's through literature, writing, a video, film, dance, music, art, everything we can we want to redeem for the gospel. Uh, that's what God's called us to do. We want to do it the best we can. Here at New Hope, we really work hard at developing not only the message or what's communicated, the skills and talents, what people see, but the messenger, the person behind that, the heart behind that, the spirit behind that, the depth, the integrity behind it. So we want the message to be done well with excellence, communicated well, but the messenger to have a depth and a sincerity and an integrity. So that's why mentoring, discipleship, example, are absolutely critical here at New Hope. But one of the things I notice about discipleship and mentoring, it doesn't happen online. You don't do it at a distance. Mentoring and life change happens life on life. It happens when you can sit with someone and see their example, hear their instruction, but watch their hands and their hearts. That's what affects students the most. It's what they see, not just what they hear. In fact, recently they did a survey on colleges that teach and they found that of the teaching when a student graduates, less than 5% is actually hands-on application. The rest is classroom. Whereas here at New Hope, it's probably 50-50 in that the students, when they graduate from this college, they'll have between 1,400 and 1,600 hours of practicum. Here at New Hope, we link up the church and the college so that it's actually called New Hope Church and College because the primary goal of New Hope is to train up young men and women for leadership in the church, the Bride of Christ. And so we want to make sure that we have a simulator, we have a lab church, and which has always been my heart from day one. The church undergirds the college. They give the students a place to serve, to practice their gift, uh, to teach. But at the same time, it gives students scholarships and, and inspiration and encouragement. But the college also serves the church in that young people are there to be servants, to be ushers, greeters, to run technical equipment, to do music, to do worship. So it really is symbiotic. And here at New Hope, we want them to be a part of life. And when you are a part of life, you get discipled. When you're discipled, you're being mentored. And when you're mentored, you become a world changer. I often say that 
One of the greatest problems with tomorrow's church is not a lack of leaders. It's going to be an overabundance of underdeveloped leaders in places of leadership. And we want to make sure that our students, when they graduate, have a heart of integrity and they think more about others than themselves. They think about their decisions to make sure that they are serving an audience of one, that the Lord would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. A table in the back if you would like to um, find out more information about their school. If you're watching online, make sure you check out their website. I know uh, my son's going to be going there next year to pursue his ministry in dance, and uh, he's pretty <laughs> stoked about it. They said dance, and I, I know that's where the Lord was tugging him. Um, Got to use your gifts, man. Okay. Um, we're going to start our, a new series today, and, and I just want to say we had such a great time last weekend um, under the prophetic ministry of Steve Sampson, and, and I hope that you enjoyed that, uh, were challenged and encouraged by it as well, and um, he's someone we'll make sure we continue to invite back probably on a yearly basis, and it's such a fantastic time uh, getting to be ministered to by him. Uh, I have just a few brief announcements, and that is, uh, first of all, after this service today, uh, or if you're joining us online and we're planning on coming at 11, uh, join, after this service, we have our on-ramp brunch, and our on-ramp brunch is what we used to call new here, start here, lunch. The on-ramp brunch takes place um, during the second service and um, immediately following this first service, and we do it on the second Sunday of every month. So today is the second Sunday of November, the second Sunday of every month, most months throughout the year, and it's a great place just to find out more about Free Church. It's a great place to meet some leaders to see where our church stands on some things, to find out our mission, vision, values, and DNA, and mainly our beliefs. Uh, it's also a great way to plug into what we call Freeway, and Freeway is a discipleship and ministry track here at Free Church, and so we just ask that you attend an on-ramp brunch if you'd like to serve, if you would like to attend some of our classes that take place here on Monday nights. Uh, on-ramp is the on-ramp to the freeway. And I know that's so cheesy, but it's so memorable. And so uh, please join us. If you've never been to an on-ramp brunch, we'd love for you to attend. It takes just a little over an hour. It is taught by our pastor of theology, um, Nathan Amerson. And he'd love to just uh, get to meet you and all come down and interact with you some as well, talk a little bit about our church's vision. Um, also want to just mention that Christmas is coming soon. Um, I don't know how many days Christmas is from now, but it's like 40-ish days away. And so we got Thanksgiving and Christmas coming. We do have Christmas plans here at Free Church. Uh, the first two weeks in December, we're going to have a Christmas series called Christmas Giving, um, looking at what it means to live generously. We then have what we're calling our Free Generation Christmas Service, which is going to be put on by our kids, our youth, and our young adults. And then finally, our Christmas Eve services will be on Sunday, or Saturday, Christmas Eve, Saturday, December 24th at 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. And between those two services, we will have children's activities. So those who come to the 3 o'clock service, these will be shorter than normal services, kind of traditional Christmas Eve style. Uh, those who come to the 3 p.m. service will have lots of really great activities for your kids, for you to go and do with them after our 3 o'clock service. And if you're coming to our 6 o'clock service, bring your kids at 5, and we have these same great, fantastic opportunities for children uh, to take part and interact with um, before our 6 o'clock service. And pray for camels. We're looking for camels. If you know a camel connection, uh, let me know. And Zion, if you want to grab me my uh, podium, that would be spectacular. So we are going to start this series today, Little Kids, Big Faith, and I, I want you to I'll ask some rhetorical questions, and maybe I'll even call on, on somebody as well. And rhetorically for now, uh, what were some of the best things to you about being uh, a child? What are some of your, your favorite childhood memories um, that you had? Um, and actually, someone want to actually share. Tim, since you're bringing me my iPad, what are some of your favorite childhood memories? Because I know your childhood was, wow, it was rough. Okay, I don't know. But what, was, what was some of your favorite childhood memories? Building treehouses. Building treehouses. Wow. Okay. Did you ever fall out of one of these treehouses? Okay. Building treehouses. Yeah, my dad made me a fantastic treehouse, actually. Um, 
who else? What, what about um, you, Julia? What was one of your favorite childhood memories? Summer with grandparents. Um, yeah, we have these, these childhood memories that we miss about being children. Uh, what are some things, just rhetorically again, what are some things you miss about being a child? But then what are some things about childhood that you're grateful that you've left behind? I know I'm grateful um, that school is something that someday, if you choose, you can leave school behind, um, that you don't have to. And I, I just love telling my kids how much they're going to use um, the algebra and the geometry in the real life when they're doing homework. And those are things that are so important that everybody just needs to have embedded in their brain because you use it everywhere you go. Uh, and so there are things that you are grateful about leaving behind when you enter adolescence and adulthood. So uh, our leadership team, some of us met this last June to prepare and to pray about and plan this coming year's sermon series through this August. And God had put on on my heart a a topic I wanted to discuss here in church that I don't think I've ever heard a sermon series on before, and that's just simply children in the Bible. What can we learn about a biblical view of children from the Bible, and particularly their relationship they have with God and the faith that they have in God? Now, this may seem like, oh, this is kind of a no-brainer, this is simple, But it's actually not so simple. It's more complicated because there's actually not a lot of stories in the Bible about children. And you might say, well, well, hold on. What about Cain and Abel? They were adults uh, when when the the thing happened. You know, what about Isaac? When, When Abraham was challenged by God to go up and offer Isaac as a sacrifice on top of Mount Moriah before God, well, he too was an adult when that happened. Makes the story much more interesting knowing he was actually an adult. Joseph, what about him and his coat of many colors? Well, he was at least like a 17-year-old teenage boy. What about Daniel and the three Hebrew children? Uh, Again, older teens. What about David, who slew Goliath? Probably, again, about 17. So we could call this teenagers of the faith. Um, We could call it uh, big faith, somewhat little teenagers. But we're calling the series big faith little kids or little kids big faith because there are some examples of very big faith in the Bible that takes place in the life of children. And even though there's not a lot of stories, we want to highlight a couple of them over the next three weeks. And next week, we can look um, zoomed in on one specific child and amazing faith that this child exhibited toward Jesus. But we're going to look today at just what do we learn about um, children in the Bible, and what's a biblical theology or worldview that we should have towards children, because we all admire things about kids. I I love interacting with kids. Kids are, in my opinion, the best people out there. Um, Kids are not jaded most of the time. Kids do not have all sorts of things that really prohibit them from stepping forward with full faith and joy that they experience in life. I went to a a pre-Thanksgiving party a couple of days ago and had this, this small child I hadn't seen in, in several weeks just run up to me in joy and just grab onto my legs. And he just looks at me and says, I want to go to your house and play Legos. And it's like, that's all that mattered to him. He just wanted to come and play Legos because he knows what joy and relationship and interaction and play looks like. I love kids. Most people love kids. Raise your hand if you don't love kids. I was like, I really don't like them, but if I raise my hand, everyone will know my secret. But our church loves kids. In fact, we have a DNA statement here at Free Church that says, we are for this generation. And that DNA statement says, youth are the church of today. Youth are our VIPs. Youth are our most fertile soil. Most people, most people who are Christians today as adults received Jesus under the age of 18. Um, The statistics vary, but it's upwards of about 80% of people receive Christ before they ever turn 21 years old. So youth are our most fertile soil. They are our greatest evangelists, and they are to be invested in by their elders. That's that's how we see kids. And so oftentimes we'll have people bring kids into the service, and they're like, I'm sorry, our kids were making noise. And like, they're kids. 
We love kids. We're for this generation. We expect kids to make noise. We get it. We understand. We want kids to experience worship in the gospel. We have kids' programs. And if you need to bring your kids into church, that's all right. We're, we're okay with it. We understand that children are to be seen uh, and heard. And children are to be heard and seen. And God loves kids. And today we'll look at some things that God has to say about kids and what God has to show us about children. And I, I typically don't like to be like the, the point preacher, like, you know, five things that the Bible says about kids. But today, that's what we're going to do. Um, looking at what Scripture tells us about children, and if you have our app, uh, that's just Church Center, and you can look for free church there. Uh, there'll be a link to the notes for this sermon on your Bible app in your phone that will connect you to that. If you want to remember some of these things, um, they'll be there for you. So, Number one thing we learn about children from the scriptures are that children are a blessing from God. Children are a blessing from God. Psalms 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage. Some translations use the word blessing. Children are a heritage from the Lord. They are the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with kids. How many of you have, that sounds strange, but just fill your quiver with kids. Blessed are you if you have children. Children are a blessing from God. Children are good. Children are not a nuisance. Children are to be seen and heard. Children don't get away, uh, they don't get in the way of your purpose. Children are our purpose. Children are always good news. As, as a pastor I have um, the opportunity of people who maybe are young or who are not married who will come with, with shame and say, you know, I, I, I am pregnant, uh, I'm not married. And, and, and while Scripture tells us about relationships outside of marriage, despite that babies, children are always good news. Children are always something that should be welcomed and experience joy over because they are a blessing from God. And so the child that you have, regardless of your circumstances in life, is a joy, is a blessing, and the church should support mothers and fathers who have children. Amen? Children are crucial. They are our purpose. Number two, the Bible says God creates children in his image. So they are a blessing. God creates them in his image. Psalms 139, David says, speaking of God, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How many of you are wonderfully made this morning? This week, uh, I took a 23andMe DNA test and there were some survey questions that they sent for those who submit their DNA for the government to monitor you. And there was 1,500 questions I answered. I got very distracted with these questions. But there were so many fascinating questions, and one of them was, on a scale of 1 to 10 compared with other people your age, how good-looking are you? And I was like, obviously a 10. And so... You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and hopefully you see yourself as a 10 when compared to others your age. And so he says, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. So you're created in God's image. Children aren't children once they come out of the womb. Children are children and imagers of God the moment that children are conceived. They bear individual personhood as a newly formed life with a unique set of human DNA. And regardless of their length of life, regardless of their physical health, regardless of their condition, regardless of their ability, children are human, children are children, and children are created by God and loved by God in his own image. I, I was uh, reading something that a friend of mine who has a, a beautiful Down syndrome daughter um, was just sharing an article in disgust 
from a health expert who said that it is not fair to the lives of those with Down syndrome to experience life and their pregnancies of people with Down syndrome should be terminated. And, and she was like, but this, this is my beautiful human baby who was made in the image of God. And regardless of anything, they're still human. Children are created in the image of God. John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb in Luke chapter 1. Mary announced her pregnancy. The pregnancy of Jesus was good news. The presence of Jesus was in the womb of Mary and John in the womb of Elizabeth. Mary's cousin leaps for joy under the influence of the Holy Spirit who was filling his mother. You see, children are worshipers by their very nature. By their very nature, children worship. They were created, they were conceived and born for relationship with God. I love it when little kids come into church with almost no church experience and they'll just raise their hands and worship because they're like, this is what people do here. This is what we're supposed to do is to bring glory and honor to God. My best ministry memory of this last year was when um, Kara, happy birthday, by the way. Um, is it your birthday? Okay, okay, somebody says it is. So, but, but when your children and, and your nephews and nieces surrounded your, your father um, as he was being baptized, their grandpa was being baptized, and they all just circled him and laid hands on him and prayed for him. They, no one told him to do it, but they did it. One of my favorite memories of this last year was having children pray for me prophetically. Children are worshipers. Children know how to worship, and I think that adults forget how to worship, but children are born knowing how to worship, which brings us to number three, what Scripture tells us about children, is that Jesus included children, and Jesus wanted children in his presence. Mark 10 says they were bringing children to Jesus, that Jesus might touch them, and the disciples rebuked the children. But when Jesus saw the disciples rebuking the children, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter the kingdom of God. And he took the children in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Imagine being one of those kids to be picked up and embraced by Jesus himself. What a memory. You see, Jesus came for children. Jesus received children. Jesus affirmed children for being children. Jesus blessed children, and we ought to as well. Because if our focus is not on this generation, this generation may be lost. And there won't be another one like the one before if we don't see that they're the purpose that they are the church of today, that they are who God is calling us to. And so we don't distinguish people between children and senior citizens. I think actually children and senior citizens, like they've got it going on. Everybody in the middle struggles. But, but this is the, the faith and the hope that we should have, the joy we should have is in the lives of children that Scripture tells us so much about. Number four, Jesus uses a child's faith as the standard. Jesus uses kids' faith as the standard for receiving and entering into the kingdom of God. We'll read verse 14 and 15 again of Mark 10. He says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder the children from coming to me. For to children belongs the kingdom of God. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. As a pastor, again, people um, discuss very difficult things. And and one of the things is, I I lost a child. Um, Where is the soul of my child who who never had the chance to put faith in Jesus when when I lost them in the womb or, or maybe shortly after? Jesus says their faith is the standard. I know without a shadow of a doubt that, that those who are children, who were, had their lives cut short far too early, that they are in the presence of Jesus in paradise because Jesus said, become like a child to enter. I believe children who tragically die are in the arms of Jesus. And so when we look at this example from Jesus and what he says, I want to challenge you 
that our goal as Christians, our goal is not to grow older in our faith. Our goal is actually to grow younger in our faith, to recapture the awe, to recapture the childlike wonder of children and how they see Jesus. When I was a kid, I can remember imagining what heaven would be like. And what I was most excited for was to slide down the neck and back and tail of a brontosaurus. That was my dream for heaven. I was influenced by the Flintstones. And I dreamt about, will we be able to fly? Will we be able to visit other planets? Will we get to meet these historical figures? And so I imagined what heaven would be like, and I saw Jesus as a friend. As an adult, worry often takes the place of imagination. As an adult, obligation and busyness sometimes take the place of friendship with Jesus. You see, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. Hebrews tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. A child jumps off the ledge and into their father's arms again and again and again. With my own children, with with some of your children, I've I've spent time in in swimming pools, and they just want to jump again and again and again and again and again until your arms give out. (laughs) Catch me again, Daddy. Catch me again, The older we get, the less likely we are to jump. So he's your father. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, Abba, Father. Uh, Tim Warnock talked about this a few months ago, that even though it sounds strange, it literally means daddy. You know, he is our daddy. He's our Abba, Father. And we are to enjoy him, to trust him, to cling to him, and to jump into his arms like a child. So again, children are a blessing from God. Amen? God creates children in his image. Jesus included children and wanted them in his presence. He sets the standard of faith with children. And then number five is this. God calls children. God calls children. In 1 Samuel, we are introduced um, to basically the the beginnings of the story of King David. And in 1 Samuel, we're introduced to a priest who served in the tabernacle before God with his sons who were sinful in their ways of serving the Lord. And there was a a young boy named Samuel who was literally dedicated to the service of the Lord by his mother who cried out for him for years that she would have a son. And she promised God that if he gave her a son, that she would bring him to the tabernacle where he could serve before God with Eli the priest. And so in 1 Samuel 3, one thing I never really grasped about the story is literally Samuel's a church kid. He grows up in church so much so that he's actually sleeping at the base of the Ark of the Covenant. Think about that for a minute. He is sleeping in what we would know as the Holy of Holies at the base of the Ark of the Covenant. And I'm sure if adults caught wind of that, they might say, like, whoa, kids aren't allowed here. But here he is sleeping, we could say, at the the feet of God. And in verse 10 of chapter 3, after Samuel heard his name being called three times and ran to Eli, his caretaker, each time and said, are you calling my name? I hear you calling my name. Are you calling my name? And each time Eli says, no, no, no. But then at the third time, Eli starts to realize, maybe God's calling the boy. And so if you hear your name being called again, go ahead and basically say, I'll paraphrase, here I am, God. Here I am. Talk to me. And so in verse 10, it says, the Lord came and stood. That's an interesting theological statement. The Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. You see, God has good works prepared for everyone who is a new creation in him. Ephesians 2.10 says that we have been saved and created for good works, 
which God has prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. And so the callings that we have on our life, the good works that we've been created for, those callings and good works do not start at childhood. Those plans have existed for eternity. So God didn't call you when you were 12. God didn't call you when you were 30. God called you before the foundations of the earth. And we step into those plans as God reveals them to us. Oftentimes we step into those plans when God reveals them to us as children. Children that God implants dreams and visions of their future into their hearts. And if you think God is calling you, regardless of your age, if you feel God is calling you, like Samuel, listen. Listen to what he is calling you to do. And like Samuel did, go to those you trust. Go to those who you submit to their authority over your life and say, I think I heard God. Do you think that God is the one that's calling me? Do you believe that God is the one who is saying my name? And so listen. Ask those you trust. Follow his call. And I want to encourage you not to forget the visions and purposes that you possess as a child. You know, I I grew out of wanting to slide down the brontosaurus back. But there were things that God started to impart to me as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, as someone in my 20s, that the older I get, sometimes the more I doubt the call of God on my life. But I want to go back. I want to remember the love I had at first. I want to repent of the fact that I've forgotten. I want to remember what it was like, and I want to do and step into the calling, the things that I did at first. And so don't forget childhood callings. Last two is this. Number six, we need to raise children into their calling. We need to raise children into their callings, not ours. You need to raise your children into their callings, not my calling, but theirs. Proverbs 22, what's it say? It says, raise up or train up a child in the way that you think they should go. Is that what it says? No. It says, raise up and train up a child in the way that culture says they should go so that they can fit into society. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Train up a child in the way she should go. It says, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We are to raise up our children into their unique God-given callings for their lives and not pressure them with callings that we think that they've been born with, which oftentimes are are unrealized callings that we put weight on them for ourselves. My child's going to be the next star athlete, dance person, like my son, um, cheerleader, actor, businessman, engineer, whatever it is. My daughter is going to take over my business, and so I'm going to raise her to take it over. That's not why we raise our kids. We raise our kids into the callings that God has for them. And my prayer for all of us who are parents or who will be one day is that God will reveal to us our child's calling at some point as he's revealing it to them. But here's what I know. Most of the time, they're going to know their calling before you do, before I do. And if it's a godly calling, we need to come alongside and raise them up in the way that they should go. And I want to just stop and encourage you for a minute. If, you're, if you say, well, that's awesome, but my son or daughter isn't even serving Jesus. My child has rebelled against us and God, and this sounds pretty awesome, and I wish I could raise up my child in the way that she should go. But I can't. And I want to let you know, you can. Keep going before the throne of God and asking for your children's salvation. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep hoping. Keep having faith. Keep pleading with God to save your children. And a lot of times you're surprised. You're surprised at the goodness and the glory and the grace of God who can snatch your children out of the most dire 
of circumstances and save them for something better and greater. And the purpose that you thought was lost for your children can come tumbling back under the power of God. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't let your friends cause you to give up on your children. Don't let your parents cause you to give up on your children. Keep raising them in the way they should go. Final thing is this, number seven. We need to protect children. We need to protect their calling. And we need to protect their faith. And really, the most brutal thing that Jesus said is Mark 9, verse 42. He says, whoever causes, and again, there's, there's children in his midst. Whoever causes one of these little ones, whoever causes one of these kids who believe in me, who are coming to me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone or anchor were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. How many of you wouldn't feel bad doing whatever it took to protect your children from someone who wanted to harm them. I wouldn't. I'm not recommending you start carrying anchors with you wherever you go. But I am recommending that you're vigilant. I am recommending that you keep watch on the children that God has entrusted to you and steward over them well and protect them from the lies of this world. You say, well, I don't want to have sheltered children. There is a balance between having sheltered children and children who understand the dangers of this world and can live in a healthy understanding that they are in the world but not of it. It's possible. Your kids will not learn that if all their time is spent at sports practices and play practices and and all of the hobbies you want them in. But your kids, I believe, will learn that in a healthy church. That they can be in the world but not of it. They can be example in the world and you as parents can protect them from the agenda that the world and society has for them to confuse them and to call them away from their calling. So if children are a blessing, if children are created by God in his image, and if children are loved, and if as a church even, if we are for this generation, then we need to stand up for and protect this generation. And that means we need to step into the gap where others have not. It means that we need to speak truth into the lives of our children, even if truth is unpopular in an era of lies. We must protect our kids because they are our VIPs. They are our most fertile soil. They are our greatest evangelists. They are the church of today. And they are to be invested in. They are to be raised up and they are to be protected by their elders. So recap as we get ready to close out in prayer and in song. Children are a blessing from God. Do you see them as a blessing? If you don't see children as a blessing, ask God to change your heart. Two, God creates children in his image. If you don't see children as made in the image of God, repent. It's what Scripture says. Three, Jesus included children and wanted children in his presence. Do you include children? Do you want children in the church at the dinner table? Do you want children in your presence? Number four, God calls children. So adults, if you were called as a child, reclaim your calling. Kids, if if God calls you, then don't let anyone stop you from pursuing your calling. Number five, adults need to raise children into their calling. So raise them up. What is your children's calling? Raise them up into it. Number six, we need to protect children, their calling, and their faith. What are things that you need to protect your child from right now? What are things that you need to protect your child from right now? You probably should know what they're being taught. You probably should know what they're listening to. You probably should know what they're reading. You probably should know what they're watching. Not to be a controlling parent, but to be a loving and protective parent. And then 
number seven, out of order. Childlike faith is the standard for entering the kingdom of God. Kids may be little, but their faith is not. Oftentimes, big adults have little faith. What do you need to do to recapture your childlike faith? What do you need to do for your faith to grow younger and bigger instead of older and smaller? You see, old, big people become cynical people. Old, big people often can become faithless people. I've seen it all. I've done it all. I don't trust anyone. I don't trust having a relationship with anyone. I get it, but that's not God's call for your life. God's call for your life is to have faith like a child, to jump into his arms, to say yes, to submit, to surrender, and to experience joy and worship again. With your heads bowed as we go into a time of prayer. There's this, uh, this story I've heard often different preachers quote, and it's, it's kind of a hard story to understand, but I was thinking a lot about it this week. And the story, it's made up, but it, it's kind of a parable. It goes like this, that uh, a husband and wife gave birth to their second child. And they brought this baby home from the hospital to the house to show it to her big brother. Five-year-old big brother, they bring the baby home, and the five-year-old big brother says, "Uh, Mom and Dad, can I take my baby sister into her room, and can I just spend one minute alone with her? The story goes. And the mom and dad look at each other. They think, well, that's kind of strange. That's kind of dangerous <laughs> to leave our newborn baby in, in her room with her five-year-old big brother. But they say, okay, we'll let you go in. And they, they put their ear real close to the door to find out what's going on. If, if something dangerous happens, if Legos are thrown, they're going to step in and solve, solve the problem. And they're listening in with both the baby monitor and with their ear pressed to the door. And they hear the five-year-old big brother ask his newborn baby sister, Sister, can you remind me what God is like? Because I'm forgetting. And I know theologically that has some issues to it, but but the, the purpose of the parable is this. We often, the older we get, the more we forget about God. And so I would encourage you this week to watch the newborn babies, to watch the toddlers, to watch the six-year-olds, and to watch the joy and the glory that they give to God, watch the peace that they feel in the presence of God, I want to encourage you to give the eight to 23-year-olds a lot of grace. And I want you to recapture what your faith was like maybe when you were laying in a crib, when it seems like you may have had no faith at all, but I think you had a lot. Unless you have faith like one of these, we don't enter the kingdom of heaven. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So would you this week, would you today consider, if you have not, putting your trust in Jesus. Jesus loves you. He lived a life you could not live. He died a death in your place that you deserve to die to forgive you of your sins. He rose from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, hell, and death. And through his life, death, and resurrection, your sins can be forgiven your relationship with God restored, the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you and even given everlasting life in relationship in the presence of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that that is a gift that God gives, this salvation, this forgiveness, this relationship with God. It's a gift of grace. It means you and I don't deserve it, but God gives it freely. And like all gifts are, they are received in faith. If someone hands you a gift, you must have faith to reach out and to take it and to possess that gift. So too is it with salvation. God gives this gift of grace and you receive it in faith. So would you this morning say yes to 
Jesus. Say yes to forgiveness of sin. Say yes to relationship with God. Say no to who you were without God. Turn from who you were and step into the new creation that God has called you to. And I don't think it's coincidence that Jesus tells us that we must be born again. Because when we're born, we are born with some sense of innocence, even though we're prone to sin. That there is an innocence, there is a great amount of faith that children can have. And as we grow up and as we have to decide if we will put our faith in Jesus, Jesus says, yeah, do that, but you've got to be born again into that new childlike faith and awe and wonder in the presence of Jesus. So would you stand? If you'd like prayer this morning, if you'd have surrendered your life to Jesus and would love someone to pray for you. If you have a need this morning, some of our team will be up on both sides of our stage to pray for you as we sing. Um, We'll also be here after the service and spend as much time with you as you need. Uh, Remember when Tim comes up and dismisses you here after this song that we do have the on-ramp brunch um, downstairs in our kids' wing in the large classroom. We'd love to meet you just a little over an hour. And if you haven't been, please, I encourage you to go. Uh, We won't have another one until um, January or February, I believe. So um, let's pray. God, we thank you. Um, God, make us more like children. God, increase our faith. Help our faith grow younger. God, we repent of becoming cynical. We repent of becoming jaded. And we instead turn to you and say yes to childlike faith. Lord, would you show us things this week that we would have to leap into your arms for, things that would require leaps and jumps and steps of faith. God, would you replace our adult worry with awe and wonder over relationship with Jesus? God, would you replace our imagination of uh, of all the things you have in store for us? Would you replace um, the worry with that imagination? God, cause us to wonder again. Cause us to be in awe again. Cause us to worship again. In Jesus' name.